Well, good morning again. Michael, good to see you, man. Hey, it's good to be back. Those of you that, by the way, if you've, uh, I've never met you, I'm Lance. It's good to have you here. I work here. Uh, hey, I'm, I'm excited. Polly and I got a chance to get away for a few weeks, and uh, what a, a great time. We, uh, it's kind of funny, but we're kind of, kind of boring. Uh, I didn't, we like to travel, but it's, uh, it's not as fun when Polly was, Polly had hand surgery. She had a carpal tunnel thing going on, so that was kind of holding us back. So we did a staycation, which is kind of nice. We had that, and so we got to just kind of chill out and relax, and uh, I did like a long honey-do list. So good stuff, fellas. Catch up, right? So no, it was a great time, and I just want to say, man, we, uh, we have such an amazing team around here, don't we? I'm telling you, our staff, our team, they are amazing, amazing. How many of you got, got a chance to hear Kari preach the last couple of weeks? Wow, that girl can bring it, can't she? Man, I had somebody in the meeting last week, and they said, you know what, Lance, you're good, but she? And I was like, she actually said that she goes, she goes, she's like this close to you. And I was like, that's awesome. I can tell you this, man, the, the longer I do this thing, the more I feel like I'm a cheerleader. I just think, I, I've, seriously, I've known Kari her entire life, and she was a little teeny baby. And to see her get up and do what she does, to hear the words God spoke, speaking through her, it was amazing. I couldn't tell her how more proud I was of her. And I kept on telling her, I was like, man, get polished because I'm sending you out to places because you're, like you're like a conference speaker, man, I'm telling you. So, so I'm telling you, there will be a woman's conference somewhere or even a men's conference somewhere that she's speaking at. And that'd be cool having her speak at a men's conference. She'd tear those brothers up. <laughs> she would, wouldn't she? It'd be a rough weekend. No, she <laughs> Yeah, don't tell her I said that. No. I love it. If you need a chance to hear that, um, let me tell you this. Uh, you need to go listen to it. It's about boundaries, two weeks of boundaries. The thing I loved about it the most was just listening to, remember she said, uh, what was the thing she said? Some of you are boundary-aholics, right? I, could, I, was, I was listening to it the other day, and I was like, boundary-aholics. I just wonder the looks on people's faces, you know, because that's good. You got to have boundaries. But then it was like, relax, man. I mean, she was just jumping right in there. And I just thought, man, it's so true. We get boundary-aholic, and we just want to say, like, nope, not doing this, not doing this, not doing this. And literally, we, we boundary ourselves into a big, fat stalemate. And do nothing. How many of you like when you're on your phone and you drop a call? None of you. There are two of you. There you go, right? Yeah, only if you don't want to be on the call, right? If you're halfway in the middle of a call and you just get super quiet and pretend that you've dropped it. Have you ever done that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've never actually done that. That would be funny. Dropping a phone call. I hate dropping phone calls. You're in the middle of something, talking away. Next thing you know, you're just like dead silence. Last week, I got a phone call from Laura. She's our worship gal. Asking me some question, a ministry question. And I, I'm going to tell you what, with Laura, I was going to tell her. I'm giving her three to four minutes of just nothing but wisdom. I mean, gold. I was like, all right. She asked me a ministry question. I was like, you know what? I know the answer to this one. Listen up. And so I start telling her. And, 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 and. I go on and on and on. And then just, I'm, I'm thinking that she must be on her ground worshiping Jesus because such wisdom. <laughs> She must be, and I'm like, it's okay, you can stand up, Laura. It's okay. You know, and she's like, not there. Gone. Next thing I know, I call her back, and she's like, what were you saying? <laughs> Nothing worse, right? Nothing worse than a dropped call, right? Have you ever feel like you've been, you've been in a conversation with God that got dropped? 
How many of you feel like you've been in a conversation with God and you're talking away and you're not so sure he's even listening? You're not even so sure that, that, that he didn't just hit the mute button and walk in the other room. Some of you think he did. Some of you think that you've made a phone call or two to heaven and he just didn't care. This morning, I want to start a three-week series building us up towards Easter. I love what Heather said. We're, I want you to think about who you're going to invite to Easter. Easter truly is one of those moments that people say, you know what? All right, all right, I'll come to church. They'll go out and buy a new dress or new whatever, and they come, right? Let me tell you this. Our culture still makes room for that. So don't forget to invite somebody, all right? It's one of those moments. Put yourself out a little bit, and, and I'm telling you, it's going to be those moments. And, and I, I promise you I won't embarrass you, but I will show your friend who Jesus is. And I want you to have an opportunity for that. So be praying about who it is you're supposed to bring. We'll hand out these little invite cards next week that you can hand out to someone. They look really nice and polished, and you'll be able to do that. So don't forget to do that. But I want to start a three-week series this week building up towards Easter. Helping us understand a little bit more about what Easter's about and what it really means. Because still, to some of us, Easter's still a little confusing. It's a holiday. It's Easter Bunny. Not so sure what it is. I think Jesus rose from the dead. But what does it really mean, right? And so I want to start this week a three-week series called The Plan, uh, the, the Problem, The Promise, The Plan. <laughs> there we go. The Problem, The Plan, and The Promise. The Problem, The Plan, and The Promise. I want to talk to you about the problem that we have and what it is that keeps us at distance from God. The problem that we've created, the problem that we live in, the problem that we, that we exist in, and how it is that we're supposed to figure our way through this thing. The plan, what does it mean? What is it that he did about our problem and the promise? What it is that we now have because of what it is that he's done? So this morning as we start this journey and we talk about the problem, will you join me as we pray today? God, thanks for an opportunity to share your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you help us to see what you have to say. Help us to see that the problem is not your problem, God. Help us to see that the problem isn't something that you've done. Rather, it's something that we have brought on ourselves. Lord, we need you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Give your Bibles, open up to John chapter 13. John chapter 13. I love this. I, I love the whole narrative of Easter and what builds up to Easter. This particular passage in John chapter 13 takes place at a time where Jesus had just come into the city of Israel. He had just come into Jerusalem. Remember, remember back in, on, on, this was like the last week of Jesus' life. This takes place on the Thursday. This John chapter 13 takes place on the Thursday of the last week of Jesus' life. This whole week was what, what, was what church, church people, religious people call Holy Week, right? This is when every day there was something happening. But in a nutshell, we know that the Sunday of that last week of Jesus here on planet Earth, he came into the city riding on a donkey, and everyone shouted in the city, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they waved palm branches and said, like, wow. And they took off their cloaks, and they laid them down, and Jesus came walking in riding on a donkey as if he was riding on a red carpet like a king coming into his kingdom. It's amazing to me the picture we see of Jesus coming into that moment. It's almost, it's almost like I just want to stop the story right there and say, Yay! It worked! You did it! They recognized you for who you are. You're the king, and they finally figured it out. But the truth is, it was only halfway done. The truth is, the journey wasn't over. He needed to go to the cross. Isn't it funny how partial victories can cause us to stop doing what we're supposed to be doing? 
your wife can tell you, hey, thank you for doing that thing, and then you stop being obedient, caring about her. You're, you're, you, you go to your kid's baseball game or soccer game or whatever, and you show up, and you think the victory had been done, and you spend the entire time on your phone texting somebody. As if somehow the partial victory was enough. Hmm. John chapter 13 takes place at a time on a Thursday night. We know it as the Last Supper. It's the time where Jesus was with his disciples. And there's a Luke, Luke version of this story, this narrative, that begins to spell out really clear detail of the deliberate uh, pre preparations that took place when Jesus told a couple of his disciples to go into the city. There's a room there for you. you lay out everything. Get the land. Get the food. Get the whatever. And he, he literally, the, the preparations for this moment were so amazing. They're so detailed. Well, this particular passage, you know that the writers in the Bible, right, they all didn't sit down with each other and say, I don't know, what are you writing? I'll write that too. They didn't do that, right? The reason why some of the narratives and the stories differ a little in the Bible was because it was from their perspective, right? It was their perspective of what they saw inspired by the Holy Spirit. That's why when you read the book of John, you see a, a letter of love. You see this love letter from God to humanity. And sometimes with Luke, you see a lot of details because he was a doctor, and there was a lot of detail behind what, he, what he, he communicated, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we see John writing this letter, and he's, he's beginning to tell us something. He wants us to see something very, very clear. John chapter 13, Jesus sits down at this table, or reclines at the table, or however it was that they got at the table. All of his disciples are around them, and, and, and they have this moment where Jesus is now going to begin to communicate something really important. This is Thursday night. He was going to be crucified on Friday night. This was the last moment. This was the last shot. This was the last, the, the, the last few moments that he was going to get an opportunity to say, guys, I want you to make sure that you get the message. Guys, I want to make very clear that you get the message that I'm trying to communicate to the planet for all time. This was a huge moment. This was a moment that the call couldn't be dropped. This was a moment that you don't want to drive through the tunnel. <laughs> this is the moment that you don't, want to, you don't want to get out of your car. You can, whatever it is that you got that causes the reception problems to you, you know, right? You know that place in your house where you get reception, right? Sometimes you go there and you're like, everyone be quiet. I finally got reception for a minute. It doesn't just happen in your house. Come on, it happens in my kids. That idea, right? This was a moment where Jesus wants to tell his disciples the most important thing. John chapter, chapter 13, verse 1 says this. I'm going to use the message translation of the Bible. It says, just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave the world to go to the Father. You know, just pause right there. I love the fact that Jesus wasn't surprised. Jesus didn't get um, ambushed. Jesus wasn't like, what? I didn't know this was the time. Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew that his time had come. He knew this was the last night that he was going to have minus beatings and whippings and, and spit-ons and all of that stuff. He was, the last moment, he was going to be able to communicate eye-to-eye -eye with his disciples. He goes on and says this. Just before Passover feast, Jesus knew that his time had come to leave this world to go to his Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right, right to the end. He continued to love them right to the end. Jesus continued to love them all the way to the end. There's no halfway in Jesus. Verse 2 says this. It was supper time. The devil by now 
The devil by now had Judas, the son of Simon, the Iscariot, firmly in his grip. It all set for the betrayal. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything and that he had come from God and was on his way back to God. So he got up from the supper table. He set aside his robe. He put on an apron. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his apron. When he got to Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet? Jesus answered, You don't understand what I'm doing. But it will be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted, if you're going to wash my feet ever, you're you're not going to wash my feet ever. Jesus said, if I don't wash you, then you can't be part of what I'm doing. Master, Peter said, not only my feet then, wash my hands and my head. Jesus said, if you had a bath this morning, then you you only need to have your feet washed, and now you're clean from head to toe. My concern is that you understand is holiness, not hygiene. So now you're clean, but not every one of you, for he knew the betrayer was with him. That's why he said not every one of you is clean. After he had finished washing their feet, he took the robe, put it back on, went back to his place at the table. Then he said, you understand what I have been doing, what I have done to you. Hmm. It's as if Jesus took this moment to, to encapsulate the most important message that he was trying to communicate for the last three years to this group of people. It's as if Jesus was saying, listen, uh, it's kind of like when you go on a date with your spouse and then you leave your kids home with a babysitter and you tell them exactly the details of where you're going, how you're going to get there and how you're going to get in contact with us. It's the same thing. Jesus was literally saying this, guys, I just want to make sure you know. And he takes this very moment to communicate so clearly in such detail exactly what it was that he wanted to communicate before he left. He wanted no drop calls, man. He wanted to make sure that the communication was clear at every level. He wanted to make sure that, that there was nothing about the situation that would cause him to be misunderstood. Jesus' entire story, his entire existence, leaving heaven to come to earth, literally was told within just a few short sentences right here. It's like the whole gospel message is just encapsulated in this one moment. If you ever lose your Bible and you can rip a, you, you find one page of the Bible, hang on to this one because it says everything. It was a message Jesus was sending, but somehow it didn't get through. Somehow it didn't get through. One of the ones that was closest to Jesus was Peter. And Peter was like, no, 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 no. Don't just wash my feet, but wash my head and my hands. In other words, he, P, P, all Peter could see was this bathing process in, the, in this, this time of day. Remember, the, the, there was no sidewalks. There were no brick roads. There was none of that stuff. Right? It was just dirt. And to come into somebody's house, they would always, foot washing was part of the of the uh, lowest servant in the mix of the group would do. I always find it interesting to me at how some of the details that God sets up, you know, like at Christmas time, some of the details, like God does all these things, he sets a star in the east, the wise men coming, the, the, uh, it's crazy, all these different moments, it sets up this moment, and then like he, he, Jesus, like God was creating this moment for Jesus to be born in a Virgin Mary, the whole deal in a stable, whatever, all of that stuff happened, and yet he forgot to make like housing reservations. No, he forgot to set that little detail up. You know, the same thing here, right? We see, we see Peter, or Jesus, getting ready for this last supper. He sets it all up in the book of Luke and tells them everything they need to be doing, where to go, how to get there, what to bring. And he forgets this one detail that they all knew culturally well. Someone had to wash the feet because it was gross. It was dirty. 
People would walk with their sandals, and you know, if you wore a pair of sandals on a dusty road, it doesn't take much before your feet are all consumed with the dirt. Something had to happen, right? Because this is what you did. You walked into a house, and there was somebody to do it. I think it's amazing to me that they were all sitting there reclining at the table. And See, because you were supposed to. You come to somebody's house, you take your shoes off where? At the door, right? That's where the feet were washed. It was like they all sat down, and none of them were willing to bow a knee. None of them were willing to serve one another. Everyone just sat down and said, you know what? I'm not doing it, so we'll just eat with dirty feet. Everyone did. It's amazing to me, isn't it? Isn't it amazing how sometimes our pride can get in the way, and we'll just we'll literally walk completely gross and dirty instead of humbling ourselves for the greater good of the whole? We'd just rather hang on to our, our own dirty feet. What was the message that was getting blocked? There was a message that Jesus was wanting to communicate that was getting blocked. There was something that was holding the message back. It was as if the phone call wasn't going through, as if the text message got the little symbol that said, didn't go through, try again. It was that, that moment, right? It was as if Jesus was trying to communicate a message that was getting blocked. What was the message? The message was simply this, I love you. Jesus was just wanting to communicate one message for all of humanity, for all of mankind. I just love you. Somehow that, that, that just seems to fall so shallow. We really would rather have the message say, I give you things. Or, you're going to be happy. Or, um, no longer sick. Or, I have money for you. As if all of those things somehow weigh more on the scale of importance than I love you. The king of the universe, the the God that created everything, the, the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore, the hair on the head of the person in front of you, everything. He said, I, I love you. Everything. So it's amazing to me. That God loves you. And yet that's just part of a, okay, Lance, what else? Bring more than that, preacher. you got to got something more in the tank than that. Is there anything more than that? Is there anything more than the God who created everything stops long enough to say, I love you, and I want a relationship with you? Is there anything more important than that? Listen to what it says in John chapter 13, verse, verse 1. It says, just before Passover, Jesus knew the time had come to leave the world. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. Some of your translations say he loved them to the fullest extent. Hmm. Let's take a minute and just kind of break this passage down. But break down these few verses of this chapter 13, verses 1 through, I don't know, 7 or 8. And just kind of go through and see the message that he wanted to communicate. How did he communicate the I love you message? Here's how he did it. Verse chapter 13, verse 2. It says in the message, verse 2, it was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, the son of Simon, Iscariot, firmly in his grip and set for betrayal. The first part of the message that Jesus wanted us to see was that the devil had Judas firmly in his grip. The devil had firmly in his grip. You know, the truth is, before we received Christ, the devil had us firmly in his grip. Firmly in his grip. I mean, firmly in his grip to where, to where you actually believe the things that 
you're told into your head, firmly in his grip. I think it's amazing to me that you might say to yourself, well, he wasn't firmly in his grip that much because like, what would it be like if you spent your days and nights and mornings and afternoons for three straight years in the presence of God? It'd be super hard, wouldn't it? Super hard for you to be firmly in the grip of the devil. Or is it? Is it, entirely prop- is it entirely possible that your proximity to Jesus isn't what keeps you from being firmly in the grip of the enemy? In other words, you come to church, you raise your hands, you read your Bible, you do your things, but your heart is so far from Jesus. Even though proximity, you're close to him, you're far from him because you've allowed yourself to be firmly into the grip of the hands of the enemy. So I think sometimes we forget that. We kind of think, well, no, 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 I go to church, Lance. No, 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 I read my Bible, Lance. No, I go to life group, Lance. I serve in such and such ministry, Lance. I am not firmly in the grip of the enemy because if I was, I wouldn't be doing any of that. The truth is, this is Judas who spent day and night probably reclined with his head on Jesus' shoulder some night, I don't know, and yet still found himself firmly in the grip of the enemy. This, this, this verse terrifies me. It terrifies me because the, the, the comfort and the relaxed posture that some of us Christians get because we're doing Christian things, we're doing activities that are Christian-ish, and somehow we think that that, that inoculates us from the enemy's grip. Can, can I tell you this? As much as God loves you, the devil hates you. And you know what the devil wants to do more than anything else? He wants you to think that God actually hates you. And never let you know it was him that was telling you that. He wants to let you think that you are worthless, that you'll never be enough, that you'll always be on the outside, that all the cute little things you're doing aren't even pleasing to God, that, that, that God knows every little detail of all those little super secret sin things that you think are all your very own. By the way, there's no such thing as a secret sin. E.T. Dub. You're so messed up. God's disgusted with you. Why bother to try to draw near to God? You don't really love him anyway. How can you expect God to empower you when you haven't even talked to him today? And sometimes we get the accuser of the brethren. We get the enemy who's coming in and telling us all these things. And we just take it and say, you know what? You're right. I, I, I am worthless. You're right. I'm a punk. You're right. You're right. And we end our sitting. Then what happens is, is once we, be, we begin to believe the accuser, we end up just kind of climbing into the pool with him. And saying, you know what, I guess I'm a turd, so I'll just go ahead and hop in with you. Sorry, I said turd, church, can't say that. Sorry, forgive me. Get the picture. That's all he's spewing is a mess like that. And somehow we just take it and think that's as good as it can get. Let me tell you this, God loves you. Jesus is wanting you to see that minus your walk with Jesus, that's what you got is that. Firmly in the grip of the enemy's hand. Some of you find yourself today firmly in the grip of the enemy's hand, and I'm telling you, you don't have to remain there. I love how close that Judas was to Jesus. Let me tell you, some of you are so close to the answer of your peace that you're looking for, but you think it's miles and miles and a whole bunch of religious activity away from you. Hmm. Second part of the message that Jesus wanted him to see. God is in control and has always been in control of everything. John 13, 2 says this. Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. He came from God, and he was making his way back to God. In other words, you realize that Jesus, on the last Friday morning when he was, or or Friday night when he was taken to that mock trial and the craziness was going on, 
that it was, he wasn't ambushed. He didn't get taken by surprise. Jesus knew this was the time. He was fully aware. He's just waiting, waiting for it to happen. In fact, I even think it's funny. The Bible says that Judas kissed Jesus so that the soldiers could find out who the Jesus was in this mob crowd of religious people, zealots in their minds. I got, I, here's what I think happened. Jesus, the Bible said, was betrayed by a kiss. I got a funny feeling that Jesus spotted Judas before Judas spotted Jesus. Just a thought. And I got a funny feeling that, that, that Jesus would have been like this, hey, hey, move out of the way. Move out of the way and put his cheek out there and say, go ahead. Go ahead, kiss it. Why would I think he would do that? Because he knew that he loved him to the fullest extent of his love. He knew the cross was just in front of him. And he wasn't running from it. No one took Jesus by force. Jesus willingly gave himself up. And then they beat him like crazy. Forcefully. Part three of the message Jesus wanted them to see. Jesus made his move. I love this. This verse four, let me tell you this. Verse four can sum up the entire existence of Jesus here on the planet. It says, he got up from the table, he set aside his robe, and he put on an apron. He got up from the table. What does that mean? Jesus gets up from the table. Literally, it's a picture of Jesus getting up from the, the table in heaven where he had everything. It's literally Jesus was getting up from where he was in heaven, reclined, enjoying heaven. It's a picture where it says Jesus got up from all that was his. He got up from the table. And the Bible says he took off his robe. What does it mean? He took off his authority. The robe was a mantle, as a mantle of authority. It described who a king was by someone seeing them afar off. The Bible says he got up and he took off his mantle. He took off his robe. He literally took off his godness, if you will. Literally, it says this, that he, he, he set aside his rights as God, basically. Set aside his rights as God. Never stopped being God. He set aside his rights as God. Philippians 2.6 says this, Though he was God, he did not demand or cling to his rights as God. And it said, then he put on an apron. What does that mean? He put on an apron. He put on skin and flesh. He put on humanity. He became man. Why did he become man? Because we made a big mess. The Bible says the only way that sin can be, can be removed or washed or, or, or cleansed is that a perfect sacrifice is offered. Did you know that? It's, it's the same way. It's, it's like you, the only way that we could be made right is that a perfect sinless sacrifice is made in our stead. Why? Because someone's got to pay the price. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. Did you know that, that you don't have to receive Jesus into your life? You do not have to surrender your life to Jesus. Now, every one of us stands having to pay a debt for our own sin one day. Every one of us. I don't care if you're a believer or not. You have to stand to pay a debt at the end of this whole thing. The good news is, is you can pay it yourself or you can allow God to pay it. Jesus to pay it on the cross. You pick. You don't got enough. We have a problem. It says he put on an apron. Literally, Philippians 2.7. He made himself nothing. And he took on the humble position of a slave. By the way, I have people come to me often and say, gosh, pastor, I just want to be more like Jesus. I think that's such a great uh, aspiration. I think it's so good. I just want to be more like Jesus. Can I tell you, if you really want to be more like Jesus, follow this example. Get up from your table, take off your robe, and put on an apron. I want to learn to love my wife better. Get up from your table, take off your robe, and put on an apron. I want to learn to serve my children better. Get up from your table, take off your robe, and put on an apron. I want to serve my church better. 
Get up from your table, take off your robe, and put on an apron. I want to learn to love my community better. Get up from your table, take off your robe, and put on an apron. See, that's what Jesus did. You want to be like Jesus? Then be like Jesus. What will it cost you? Getting up from your table, taking off your robe, and putting on an apron. That's who Jesus is. That's what Jesus did. Hmm. Part four of the message Jesus wanted us to see. Jesus poured himself out. Then the poured, it says, then he poured water into a basin. All throughout the Old and New Testaments, the word water is used as a symbol of salvation. Over and over again, Isaiah 12, 3, Isaiah 55, 1, Revelation 21, 6, Revelation 22, it goes on and on. John chapter 4, remember Jesus was talking to the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and he says, listen, you think that water is going to satisfy you? You'll still get thirsty again. He said, but I'll give you water that's living. It'll bubble over to life, everlasting, right? Jesus was the living water. Get this, the picture Jesus wanted them to see was he got out from heaven. He took off his divinity, if you will. He took off his, the, the rights as God. He put on a humble servant, and then he poured himself out. He was trying to show them this picture of pouring out. I'm, pouring, I'm, I'm the one washing all your feet. I'm pouring it out. I'm pouring my life out for you. As he poured it out, literally he was saying, listen, I just hope that somebody would have seen the picture and the imagery. I don't think anybody did because clearly they listened to Peter start yapping and say what Peter said, right? I think it's funny because Peter is, you know who Peter is? Us. Peter just happens to say the stuff we mostly think. I love Peter. I'm like, Peter, I'm glad you said it because I was thinking it. Right? I'm not alone, trust me. We're all like that. It says that Jesus, part five of this message, Jesus wanted us to see Jesus washed the dirt from their feet. Guys, listen, this is the point. Jesus washed the dirt from their feet. What did that mean? Literally, Jesus, Jesus' whole point, Jesus washed the yuck from the path that they had just walked. It wasn't just dust Jesus was washing off. Jesus came to wash the yuck from the path that you've walked. You see, that water he wanted to pour out wasn't just a soothing, nice little, nice little, you know, some sort of a, you know, what do they call that, a peta, peta, pedicure, is that right, right? Did you know, by the way, this, you're going to laugh at me, my daughter, Bailey, she's in the beauty industry, she does hair, she was talking about a mani-pedi, I literally thought that was a pedicure for a dude, <laughs> man-pedi, made sense to me, some of you are like, what's the difference, right here? trust me, it's not that, guys. <laughs> Jesus washed the life from their life. Jesus washed the dirt from their life. Here's the crazy thing. None of them were qualified to wash the yuck from each other's feet. Only Jesus could. Every one of us comes walking in through life, and every one of us steps into dirt. Every one of us steps into stuff that we can't shake. You can rub and scrub and clean and scour and bathe and you can do everything you can. But just like Jesus said to the woman at the well, you'll get thirsty again. You can't clean yourself. Jesus shows us this imagery where he comes down. He comes down from heaven. He takes off his, he, he, the, the rights is God. He puts on a humble servant and literally he washes the yuck from our life. Minus him, it's still there. Hmm. 
after he finished, the Bible says he took his rightful place at the table. I love that. The message was, I'm going to complete the job. And I'm going to be my rightful place back in heaven. So here's my question. Why wasn't the message getting through? How come not everybody at the table said, I see what you're doing. I get it. I know what you're doing, Jesus. You come down, you know, the whole thing, right? Wash the feet, sin. I get it. You're going to die on a cross. You know, he told them ahead of time, plenty of times. Hey, guys, by the way, going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. I'm going to pay for your sin. I mean, he just kind of told them straight up in a bunch of places I could point out to you. But there was no question what they were doing, but they all, the signal got blocked. Somehow the, the connection got, got, got broken. Somehow there was something that wasn't getting through. What caused it to stop? What was blocking the message? Can I be so forthright to tell you this? It's one thing. Sin. Sin always blocks the message. Sin always stands in the way. Sin is the tunnel that keeps the reception from coming through to your phone. It's like it, it, everything holds it back. Sin is the stopper. Every one of us, the Bible says in Romans 3.23, what? The wages of sin is death. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us, every one of us, has each turned to our own way. So how do we fix this mess? How do we fix this mess? Here's what we're supposed to say as preachers. Everyone now just gets saved. Yay. You know the problem? The problem is, is so many of us here in our culture today, I'm, just, I'm learning a lot about our culture you know, and I think our culture, our culture is different. It, it's, uh, we have different ethnicities, which is fantastic. We, we have different vantage points, which is great. Some of us came from super healthy families. Some of us came from super not healthy families. Some of us are broken here and there, all that stuff. And the problem is, is every one of us has the same problem. The problem we come to this place with is called sin. And, and, and see, what most of us want to say is, well, it's because of Adam and Eve. <laughs> That's why we have sin in the world and it was their fault. How do you fix the sin problem? How do you fix the signal problem so you can finally hear the message that Jesus wanted to tell you? What's the message? I love you. I want you. How do you, how do you remove the problem from your life? How do you remove the sin problem? We, we want to say, well, you know what, Lance? It was my dad. My dad was a joke. My dad didn't teach me. My dad hurt me. Things shouldn't have happened. It was my dad's fault. Some of us say, well, you know what it was. It was, it was the, the people around me and the environment that I was raised up within. Therefore, it was all their fault. And see, really, whether or not we say it that way, oftentimes we live that way. Can I just be so bold as to tell you this? Your sin problem, my brother, is yours. You are responsible for your sin problem. It will not work when you get to heaven and God says, hey, why should I let you into heaven? And you say, my dad was such a crazy mess, he hurt me. It was his fault. That's why I sinned. Let me in. You know what he's going to say? Nice try. I told Lance to tell you something back in March 2017, and you were sitting right there in church when you heard it. This sin is your problem. It's your problem. It's not y'all's problem. It's your problem. And we got to do something about it. How do you get this problem taken care of? We listen to the message. What's the message? The message is this. I love you. Next week, we're going to talk about the plan, what it is that he did. But let me tell you this so I don't leave you hanging. Because if you can't get here next week, let me tell you this. The Bible said that Jesus didn't leave that Thursday night and then stop it. 
He went all the way through to Calvary. The Bible says he laid his life down willingly on a tree so that we could have life. He was the perfect sacrifice that paid for your and my sin. Every one of us has a sin problem. Every one of us has a sin problem. And there's so many of you that are sitting in here in church today that feel like your proximity to Jesus by being here in church is gonna be enough. I just want you to know it's not enough. Judas was super close to Jesus. But Judas was firmly in the grip of the hands of the enemy. So I want to invite you to a place of solving the problem today. I want to help clear up the reception on your cell phone between you and God. Let's pray. God, every one of us has a responsibility to do something with this message. Every one of us has a responsibility to do something with this message. Lord, we can, we can continue doing what we're doing. God, we can continue playing our game. We can continue living our life. But every one of us has an opportunity to respond to your message today. Message of hope. You said in the Bible that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious grace. Every one of us. Every person here has sinned. We were born into it. We couldn't help it, but we have it. But thank you so much that you did something about it. Lord, you made a way for us to not have to live and pay our own penalty. So I don't know who you are here today, but as your eyes are closed and you have a time to be with God, you and him, I just want to give you an opportunity to say, Jesus, I can't pay the penalty myself. I need you. I can't let my proximity at church be enough to get me saved. I need Jesus. That's you this morning. I want you to say, Jesus, I surrender my life to you completely. Just say it like you mean it. God, I surrender it all to you. Take away the problem in my life. Take away the sin. And God, fill me with your spirit. I, I need you, Jesus. I can't live like this because I'm not powerful enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not beautiful enough. I'll never be enough minus you. Jesus, I need you. Come on, church. Tell him you love him. God, we need you. Jesus' name, amen. You know, cell companies tell us,